0: Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Marketing, Management, and Money. We're uh, your hosts, uh, Ethan Meliori and Ryan Murray. We're uh, glad you could join us here today. Today, we're going to try to talk about a subject, and we debated beforehand on maybe the right title for this one. So, Or uh, even description <laughs> on this one. <laughs> but our, our goal in this episode is to uh, talk about how um, owners and or managers can best evaluate, um, whether their employees are being productive, kind of, you know, what their worth is, are they packing their weight, mm-hmm. um, uh, signs and symptoms and maybe tools you can use to, uh, I don't, I really like the word performance evaluation because that's, uh, I think too formal than what we're trying to really look at in this one. But, but the idea that, um, someone says, comes in one day and says, Hey, John's, John's just not packing his weight. Well, Okay. What does that mean, and how do we really come to a conclusion of who's the more valuable employee? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so maybe well, that's where we're but, looking at this is how to understand the value of our employees.
1: And yeah, uh, that's absolutely what we want. What we want to talk about, but even uh, I, I want to be clear to not not make this too comparative. Yeah, you know, it's not who's the more valuable employee because so. Uh, I'm I'm going to give a couple a couple examples here right off the bat, and hopefully we can use these examples to start to you know build the discussion. Uh, I was working with a company that had a uh, had a sales team about a half a dozen people on their sales team, and um, you know when they started talking to me, they said, "Hey, you know, I've got some people that are significantly outperforming the other salespeople." And it's cut and dry because I can see the numbers. And their question, ultimately what they were getting at is, should they get rid of the low performers? And, you know, I fired back to them and I said, what other value do you get from your sales team? And They're like, what do you mean? I, uh, they, they sell. And I'm like, okay, when you have a problem, you know, like you're, you're trying to deal with a difficult customer, who do you put on it? Like, oh, well, I mean, this is the person that I put on it. And then I asked the question. I'm like, is that your top salesperson? Like, oh, no, no, they're not my top salesperson. I'm like, okay. So think about this for a second. This person has a skill of dealing with difficult customers, the problem customers that that's not necessarily going to change. No one else wants to deal with you no know, one else wants to deal with. And I'm like, so if you take strictly the idea of I'm just gonna look at top sales and then I'm gonna start just whacking from the bottom, you know, if you're if you're not mm-hmm. a top salesperson, you're gonna whack off that guy who he's very talented at dealing with difficult customers or he's willing to deal with difficult customers. I see a lot of, you know, and I'm picking on sales here for a second, but this this spreads into all aspects of the business. But I see a lot of salespeople, the top salespeople, one of the reasons why they're the top salespeople is because they don't bother with unproductive sales. But as an owner of a company, if you only go after people that are big dollars, you're gonna have some really negative reviews out there. And in the world we live in, man, yeah, that that's going to start hurting you if, you know, if we're only after the person who's ready to buy right now. You know, I mean, th- think about, like, if, if I've got a car dealership and, you know, people that come and I, I, I only go with people that are serious buyers ready to go right now, they're going to go back, they're going to get online, they're going to be like, yeah, they were jerks to me, wouldn't even let me test drive anything, and then pretty soon you're out of business. And, and so I, I'm like, you don't want to just look at, you know, the, the obvious stuff. You want to look at at all the package deal. Like, what does someone bring to the table? And it might not be in their, quote-unquote,
0: job description. Now I heard an, an, an old analogy a long time ago, and I know you've heard this one as well, that do we have the right people on the bus? Yeah. But then someone else put a little bit of clarification into that one time in a conversation. He said, it's not about having the right people on the bus. It's about having the right people on the bus in the right seats. Right. Do we have the weight distribution right so that we're the most fuel efficient for this trip that we're going to take? And it made me rethink the whole idea that, um, yeah, I might have the right people on the bus, but if I don't get them in the right places, if I'm front heavy, um, and all the stresses on the front axles and the struts, because I've crammed 20 people into the first 10 seats, uh, we're going to have problems with that bus, mm-hmm. you know, and the same thing. If I put everyone in the back, you know what I mean? Uh, so we want to make sure that we have them in the right seat too. And as I thought about that analogy with that new description, uh, it kind of changes the way I look at organizations now. And I ask a very similar question to what you ask as well is, okay, um, let's talk about employees, but let's also talk about what their strengths are, Mm -hmm. what their skill sets are, um, what their tolerances are. And then let's have the discussion about, are they in the right seat? Yeah. So, I'm going to throw another,
1: you know, kind of kink in this Mm -hmm. whole puzzle that we're putting together. Uh, And then, then I really want to start getting into solutions, you know, like how can you tackle some of these challenges as the, you know, as the owner, as the manager of the company. But, uh, so I, I had another opportunity where, um, you know, I was working with someone who owned a company and they had their, um, you know, the, a web developer, that was over their website and their e-commerce. And the owner came to me and they're just like, I don't know if they're doing a good job or not. They're like, mm-hmm. I don't understand Great web. Question. And so every time I go and ask them like, hey, what did you work on today? And they say this stuff to me that, you know, it makes no sense to me. And so I look at this person and, and they're like, I look around at other companies and I see what they do. And, you know, I try and and compare, but like, I don't know if I should give this employee a raise or if I should fire this employee because I don't know what I don't know. And it created this very interesting situation because as owners, we assume that we know stuff. And I see a lot of this happen with stuff like accounting, like every single owner is like, oh, I mean, I understand the books. I'm like, do you really? because there's a reason why they went to six years of school to become an accountant. It, you know, like mm-hmm. I, I get that you've watched a couple of YouTube videos and that you've been in on those, you know,
0: financial mm-hmm. review meetings. I get that you've kept your own checkbook for 20 years, <laughs> yeah. but it's not accounting.
1: And, and and so they look at that and they're just like, why don't I have money? What do you do? You know, what, wh- what are you doing wrong? <laughs> and, and, and so, you know, there, there's there's the obvious stuff that they don't know. Like people, they'll admit that they're like, I don't I don't know how to build a website. I don't understand HTML yeah. and you know C programming or whatever language it's in. You know, they're like, I don't I don't understand any of that. And so they readily admit that. And then they don't know how to manage that person. And then there's the stuff that they think they know. Well, I know how to market, and so why aren't you marketing it this way? Why Why did you spend so much money? You, you know, we wasted fifty thousand dollars on this marketing campaign, and you have nothing to show for it you know, and it's like, so as an owner, how do you, how do you manage that? Because I see it from both sides. I see great employees that get a bad reputation because they're, you know, it's, they're not as, tan they're an intangible, you know, cog in the, in the process. And, I see really crappy employees that man they just know how to talk the talk and they're just like oh well i mean uh, like you know and they, they'll they'll show the pretty reports and you know and then the owner doesn't want to look like an idiot in front of everyone in the conference room and so they're just like yeah that's that's good let's let's keep doing that you know
0: it reminded me of a study that i read about what how uh, in general how we determine whether someone's smart so we determine most people, <laughs> and this was the study. And I'll, if I, I'll see if I can go find the reference and maybe you can uh, include it in the podcast. But yeah, that'd be fun. The, the reference basically came on the surface the person who talks the most we deem to be the smartest. That's, what, that's one of the conclusions of the study that for most human beings sitting in environments, someone who talks the most is deemed to be the smartest. Wow. Which the reality of it is the person who talks the most is just an extrovert <laughs> and or uh, likes to hear themselves talk. Or they're nervous. And so they're... Yeah, that's true. And it brought that out too. Or they're nervous, so they just ramble. Yeah. They just talk, talk, talk. But on the flip side, someone who um, maybe comes into the introvert, and sometimes we refer to that as shy, or... Um, or doesn't like being in social groups. Okay, has a little bit of social anxiety. They don't say much. So, what are they deemed? The stupid. dumb, stupid. Yeah, yeah.
1: Or we are taught now. This I'm, I'm, I'm kind of spinning off. So, this isn't coming from the study that you read. Um, but we are taught that if you pause to reflect, that means you're slow and it's not Mm -hmm. considered a strength. If someone says something and you sit there and you're staring off, what do they say? They don't say, oh, are you really pondering what I said? (laughs) They say, did you hear me? (laughs) (laughs) Are you even paying attention? You know, it's very accusatory against that person because they're taking a minute to think. And so we're supposed to just ramble on and ramble on and ramble on.
0: Yeah. So I put that out there and I, as you said it, my first thought was it went to that study and then as a warning to myself to say, yeah, you have to be careful when you're having conversations with people, because if you fall into a, the normal pattern, someone who talks a lot, you just naturally put, they're one of the smarter ones out there when that may be far from the truth. And the same thing, the person sitting in the corner, not saying anything, if you don't invite them or ask for their opinion, you might be missing out on who actually is the smartest person in the room. Yeah. And so, so when you start looking at employees and evaluating um, their roles and values and how they contribute to the company, um, every employee you're probably going to have to look at and deal with it slightly different because um, you're not going to get the answer that you look for if you use the same pattern for everybody. Yeah.
1: So. I want to start going into some solutions here because, you know, this is this is a big enough problem. And, and I really want to clarify that we do not have all the solutions, but there are definitely some things that you can do to keep you on the better side of this equation. And the first one that I want to talk about is I'm always looking for consistency. So if I know nothing about what the person is talking about— I'm looking to see what the pattern is with what they're talking about. And now consistency can go, you know, you can be consistently bad. (laughs) Just because you're consistent doesn't make you good. But, like, I'm looking for what is it that this person is saying? Is their story changing? Is, you know, is there a lot of flip-flop is, you know, and, but here's the other thing. Are they so rigid? Because that's another sign of, in my book, uh, a, a bad employee is someone who can never adjust or pivot or, you know, yeah. that, like they're still doing the same things they were doing five years ago. Right. And I'm like, okay, then you are not, you're not the top dog. Like you want to pretend you are, if, you know, if if you're stuck doing the same things, like when, when how are you growing? How are you improving? But also, how are you staying consistent and not flip-flopping all over the place? And so I'm looking for patterns and consistency is, is, is kind of one of the first things that I'm going after when, you know, when I'm trying to evaluate an employee, especially if I'm unfamiliar with their workload or what, you know, what they exactly do.
0: Okay. I know one thing I look at is uh, when they're in trouble, why are they in trouble? Mm -hmm. Meaning, are they in trouble because they're being proactive and they're stirring the pot a little bit because they're trying to push or to encourage or they've taken some risk to try to uh, do a new initiative or are they being in trouble or hated by their peers because they're just not, what I would say, pulling their weight, you know, Mm -hmm. they missed a report or their part of the assignment wasn't being completed, uh, or they're showing up uh, uh, late, and it's causing other problems in the assembly line. So so I, you know, because we have both, and too, somewhat, uh, too often we look, and when someone's in trouble, well, if they're proactively trying to do something, that's good. I can control that. Right. I or improve that. Yes. Uh, but some of the other problems that come up are much harder to fix than someone who's proactive because proactive, we can just restructure their course a little bit and, and make good, good changes so that yeah. they can be successful. But, uh, someone who's, uh, not making any, well, not making any changes, but they're, uh, you know, they're missing a report or they're coming up with data late or they're causing, you know, your assembly line to, uh, have some errors. Uh, those are really the, the harder ones to fix.
1: Yeah, no, I think I think that's great insight.
0: So I'm going to
1: share two, and I'm going to put them out there so that I don't forget them. Okay. So uh, the and now my mind's already going blank. <laughs> <laughs> no, the first one is uh, looking at what your peers think of this person. Uh, and, but I'm going to go in a direction that is probably not what the listeners are thinking. You know. Okay. Uh, and, and then the second one is how do they deal with bad situations. Uh so I w- I want to talk about the bad situations first. Um you can learn a lot a lot about somebody when something starts to fall apart. Yes. And you look and see what how do they handle that? So using that example of, you know, the web developer, I know nothing about websites, you know, are they doing a good job or not doing a good job. So all of a sudden the website crashes. Right? I go to the web developer and I'm just like, why did the website crash? And if they're looking at it and they're just like, okay, this is what happened. I'm sorry. I actually made a mistake here. I'm fixing it, you know, and I've, I've, I've identified some weaknesses. We probably need to go after this, this, this. You know, if, if they have a, a little bit of humility you know they're they're owning some uh, you know some of the mistake if they have a you know an attitude of okay let's learn from these mistakes those are good signs yeah. if they're trying to pass the buck if they're just like well you didn't tell me I was supposed to renew the hosting, <laughs> you know. Ouch! <laughs> like, like th- th- those are the th- and, and and we see it, you know. Like, like how defensive does the person become if they become very defensive as opposed to taking ownership? Then I'm looking at that and I'm saying mm, that might be indicative of that they probably screwed up and are a little embarrassed by it and maybe don't know what they're doing, you know, because if they, if they don't know how to fix it or can't come in and problem solve, they might be in over their head, you know. So I want to jump back to peers. Usually what peers say about an employee, uh, I let it go in one ear and out the other. Uh, I agree. I, I find that peer reviews are very misleading when it comes to performance and quality employees, um, you know, peer reviews have more to do with how likable the person is and how well they fit into the clicks. Yeah. Uh, they they don't tend to have anything to do with what the person's job is or job performance. The other thing is is people that do a really good job oftentimes are on the outskirts. Because they're not the ones that are, you know, like BSing with everyone around the water cooler because those are the people that, you know, they they either don't like their job or they don't know what to do. And so they've got all the downtime. And so they're trying to fill the downtime by just, you know, chit-chatting with everybody. And and then the person who really wants to work doesn't want to chit chat. And so they're like, Oh yeah, we don't like them. You know, they're just they're just a brown noser like so usually peer reviews. I'm just gonna ignore. Uh, I'm gonna be like, and and I, I I guess I shouldn't say ignore because sometimes people will share insight and be like, hey, are you aware that you know this employee is stealing from the company, or <laughs> are you aware that they're <laughs> sleeping? Uh, <laughs> I heard this. <laughs> this one cracks me up. I was talking to uh, talking to a business owner. He's like, yeah, yeah. I was giving a tour of my company once. Was an employee that was sleeping. Oh I'm here giving a tour and we walk past and they're on the floor sleeping. Oh that's <laughs> kind of
0: funny though it is kind of funny <laughs> like that's a great story oh. <laughs> um, One comment that you said earlier that reminded me uh, of a business owner that uh, one way he wanted to understand uh, and reward, Uh, correctly, some of the people in his organization is randomly, he would just ask someone, he says, who makes your job? You know, he'd go to an employee and say, who's another employee inside the company that makes your job easier?
1: Oh, I like that.
0: Yeah. Uh, And I was like, that's brilliant. (sighs) And so that's, oh yeah, so-and-so over in this department or uh, my colleague here. So that's what he would kind of do. Or, or, you know, he'd say, hey, you know what, I'm looking to send out a, a few little thank yous for people who contribute. Who do you feel is being a good contributor right now to organization. Yeah. So, you know, and he just randomly asked people because um, if you're always asking your management team, it's always, the uh, you know, it it becomes very isolated. But but he randomly asked people throughout the entire organization. And because of it, he could always kind of see those that um, cared about the company. Mm -hmm. Because that's what you're really looking for is that someone's invested in what you're doing in your organization. Yeah. Because if they are, you know they're not going to drop the ball if they do, they're gonna try to hustle to get do whatever they can to get it back. You know, they're gonna be part of that scramble trying to get the ball back, not mm-hmm. just, well, you know, I'm not gonna jump in there and might get hurt. Yeah. You know?
1: Yeah. Oh, no, that's that's really good insight. I've never thought of that one before. So.
0: Yeah, I loved I loved that idea when he uh shared it with me and I don't remember what conversation we were having, but when you some comment earlier also made that jump to my mind. And, yeah,
1: no that's great. So uh I wanna talk about tenure. So your longtime employees this hmm. is a mixed bag because some of your best employees are your long-time employees and some of your worst employees are your long-time employees. I would argue to say that you're not going to find a, a correlation between uh, how long someone has been there and how good of an employee they are. Yes. And, and, but culturally, we're supposed to reward people for being at a place for a long time. And I'm like, just because you're too afraid to go get another job, why am I rewarding you? You know, (laughs) like, uh, and but so so this is this is what tenure brings with it, pros and cons. You know, first off, you need to have tenure. You want people who have been around for a long time. If everyone on your workforce is young, that is a bad mix. Yeah, you know, And, and so. Look at how old your company is. And I'm totally just making this ratio up right now, but man, it makes sense in my mind. I would say take the age of your company, divide it in half, and you should have people that have been with your, you know, with the company at least half as long as the company has been around. So if you've been around for okay. 30 years, you need right. people that have been around for 15 with you. If you've been around for two years, you need someone who's been there at least a year. If you've been around for 10 years, five years kind of thing, right? right. Um, that's I see the logic in it. I, there's, <laughs> I'm on a total tangent here. For, have you ever heard the uh, dating rule, half plus seven?
0: Yes. I think it was you who probably told that to me. Half <laughs> <So laughs> your age plus seven and you're okay, it's legal. Yeah, yeah.
1: So, you know, like if if you're 30 years old and you want to know what's the youngest person you can date, it would be a 22-year-old yeah. because you, you take half, 15 plus seven is 22. And so, you know, if if, if you're 30 and you're dating an 18-year-old, no, that's that's too much. Well, so if I'm 70. If you're 70, you can do a 42-year-old. <laughs>
0: That's still a huge gap. <laughs> <laughs> I guess if the 42-year-old is willing to date whoever's 70, go for it. Knock yourself out. Hey, how much money do you have? Right? That's probably what it comes down to. I'll date you because you're about to die, and <laughs> I'm just going to inherit whatever you leave. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, And then
1: I love those scenarios where the 70-year-old the, uh, still outlives the 40-year-old. <laughs> So anyway, that's that's just the thought that I had when I came up with my one of the sideline conversations. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, this is what tenure brings with it, and this is what well, this is what it brings with it—good and bad. So it brings experience in the sense of fewer mistakes. Yes, You know, like they've already made the mistakes. And so someone who has tenure is not going to do those stupid mistakes that you're like, why? Those costly mistakes. You know, you get rid of a lot of those with tenure, but you also lose a lot of energy and passion. You know, people that have been with the company for 20 years are not coming up with new ideas. They're pretty jaded, you know, they're they're not excited about the
0: company. Could be. I'm gonna put could be.
1: Well, okay, I'm I'm generalizing uh, here you and know. that's you know. why I'm gonna put could. <laughs> someone out there who's
0: gonna be sixty-two listening to this one and they love their job and working hard. <laughs> that, okay, that that that, um,
1: that 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 is true. And so, you know, when 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 I'm looking at uh when I'm looking at the value of an employee, if I have someone with tenure I want to play to their strengths. Yeah, yes, exactly. And not just assume that, oh, hey, you are valuable because you've been here forever. But look at it and say, okay, what can you do? Like, I love when someone who's been there for a long time mentors someone who's brand new because then I get both. I That's get, right. you know, the 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 person who's been there a while is going to be like, oh, don't do that. That's a bad mistake. You are going to cost yeah. the company money. But the person who's new is going to be like, have we ever tried this? What about this idea? And they're like, oh. That's a good idea. So I love that combo of, you know, you take your most seasoned employee, put them with your your newest intern, and like you, you really, really get a lot out of that, uh, you know when, when, when you work that way.
0: And I, for me, when I have uh, employees who've been there a long time, if I do have a concern, uh, my original thought is we want to make sure we structure rewards so that there's still incentives for them to excel at their job. Mm-hmm. E- even when uh, their job might be a little bit routine by now, uh, I still want them to find ways to be incentivized, to be creative, to find new innovative wa- innovative ways to still make sure that uh, we still feel that it's important that they participate in professional development. Yes. We forget about that one or we think, oh, they know everything. No. No, no, no. There's always something else about you know, professional development. It may not be hard skills, but it can be something else that we can still develop them in to, to allow them to still have success and growth on the job. So I'm always of uh, that growth mindset to, for not only the company, but the individual as well. Let's find ways to, to keep them highly engaged um, so that they just don't feel like I'm... Here still,
1: yeah. Well, I think you hit on something that uh, is another uh, an, another key worth pointing out. How interested in growth and development is the employee at any age? You yes. know, whether whether they're yeah. a new Actually, employee. That's a great
0: or, point to bring up because you know, that is for me uh, a pattern that I've seen uh, in employees that uh, those that uh, are. Wanting to become and better themselves. They're always looking to, for growth. Mm-hmm. And I don't care if they're looking outside of the company. Like that
1: doesn't bother me. Yeah, you know, if, 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 if I've got an employee that they're trying to learn skills because they're like, look, I'm not going to stay here forever. You know, let them learn the skills help them advance because you'll get a better employee while they're there. And, and, you know, I'm kind of thinking back of, you know, the employees that I've had, the businesses that I've consulted, and I don't know their employees as intimately as I do, you know, the ones that have been directly under me. But I'm looking back and I'm just like, wow, you know, there's a strong correlation between employees who are growing and developing you know, professional development, paid, you know, programming. Seeking uh, new
0: certifications. Yeah,
1: carving out time. Yeah. They spend two hours a week learning a skill set or whatever the case may be. Those types of employees, uh, I, I'm i hard-pressed to think of any that I've had problems with versus the ones that are just like, I'm good. Why would I need that? Why would I want to waste my time with that? When am I going to use that? That's not part of my job description, You know, uh, so if you're trying to determine if a company, if an employee is valuable to your company, you know, look at their growth, because if they're not growing, it's kind of hard to think they're really growing your company.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Great. I'm glad you brought that point up, because that's uh, one area that I do look at is their their drive outside of my encouragement to do uh, their own personal professional development. Yeah. And that can be done at. And for me, I don't care what it is. Yeah. Honestly, I I want at least a good majority of it to be job and skill related. But I'm okay if some of it is not, that it's a little bit more of a personal thing. So so my rule of thumb, I don't even need the majority to be
1: job related. Anytime someone comes to me and says they want to do professional development, I just ask this question. What does that have to do with your job? and if they can tie it in even if it's creative if they're yeah. just like well I'll have better satisfaction you know I'll feel like the company cares about me and so I'll be a better employee I'm like okay I'm going to hold you to that you're going to take this training and then I want to see some other metric improve yeah. you know but I I don't care if it's not you know if it's not specific to your task I don't I don't get hung up on that personally
0: yeah uh, probably the last thing that I would bring up, which is just common, this is the no-brainer and everyone probably does it, is that uh, the metrics and goals, mm. um, I think that there needs to be appropriate metrics and goals that are out there that are clear, that they know what they need to achieve and uh, are realistic. And if you've done that, I think that they'll see success. Now, I, um, you know, this goes back to one of our podcasts where we talked about um, inherent uh, and innovative. Yeah. Okay. That, that too often people will just give you a goal that's inherent. I know I can achieve it. And so hence this is what my goal is. Right. Okay. But if you really want to move past that inherent to where you move through those growth cycles, so you can actually have progress, you can't just give an inherent goal. Okay. But at the same time, um, when we move into those ideas and then hopefully into innovative, the ideas allows us to have some good discussion to say, okay, What do we want to tweak? What really makes sense for us to tweak in these goals and uh, uh, milestones that we're going to try to achieve so that we have a good gauge um, that you don't feel, I I just don't want someone to feel like, oh yeah, I can do that in two months and then I'm going to sit around for three months. Mm. Yeah.
1: So I got to put a huge caveat there with one of my concerns when it comes to metrics and goals, and that is this. Just because you are an owner, just because you're a CEO, just because you're the president, vice president, manager, whatever your title is, has nothing to do with whether you're any good at coming up with appropriate mm. metrics and goals. Great point. Most of us are bad at it. Great, it, great it, point. It's a learned skill. It's like if all of a sudden I wanted to you know, be able to speak Flemish or something like that. And, and and I and I just, you know, I show up and I just start speaking, you know, fle- okay, fine. I'm well, still stuck
0: on Flemish. <laughs> I'll,
1: I'll 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 jump it over to so I speak French, right? Mm-hmm. And the the hours and years that I have spent trying to get good at learning this language, if I just showed up in the country and just assumed that because, you know, I read a book on French that now I'm fluent. Like, no, 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 you are not. And so this is what I would say. If you are, if you're the guy coming up with the metrics and goals, you have two options in my opinion. Option number one is you make it a collaborative learning experience with the person who is doing the metrics and goals. And you both understand that you're learning and you have a lot of tolerance for figuring it out. Option number two, if you're going to stick to those metrics and goals, like if you're going to put any sort of, you know, pay incentive based on those, if you're going to put any sort of performance review based on those, you better have an actual track record of successfully planning goals with other employees before you impose those goals on these employees. If you're not there... Default back to that first step where I said have a high tolerance level where it's like, look, we're gonna we're gonna put some goals out there. We're gonna aim for these goals. We're gonna review the process. You know, I'm not gonna link your pay to my ignorance of goal setting. Yeah, yeah.
0: you know, well, and so I find most people are inadequate when it comes to goals because we we put the goal, but we don't have the process on how we're going to get to the goal. That that part becomes kind of nebulous. So yeah. I want to learn to speak French. Okay, uh, why don't we check in with each other in six months? Six months comes by. Have you done much French? Uh, I know a few words. Well, Why haven't you been working on this one? Oh, I have, but uh, so-and-so and so-and-so. But if I would have had other, uh, the process in which I wanted to get it, oh, no, I need to be doing 30 minutes a day. Uh, every, every day uh, through this process. Okay. So at least I have some process. So now when I have the question, are you spending 30 minutes a day? No, I'm probably spending 30 minutes a week. Okay. Now we know where we need to fix it to get you back on track. Right. Because if if we don't establish the process in order to achieve that goal, we failed because Mm -hmm. it, then it does, it becomes nebulous. And when anything that's nebulous, uh, it's nothing but full of hopes and dreams. Yeah. And yeah. lots of excuses. Yeah,
1: Excellent point and an excellent point to conclude on. I think we'll go ahead and wrap it up there. You guys have been listening to Marketing Management Money. If you've got some things that you use to help determine uh, you know, quality work, quality performance, we'd love to hear. Uh, go ahead and shoot us a line, ryan at marketingmanagementmoney.com. And we will catch you next time. See you.